All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome back to the Bizzlecast post-Doctor Strange. I am here with senior contributor of the Bizzlecast, uh, Matty G. Matt, how you doing, man? What's going on? I'm doing fine. Hi, everybody. Happy belated Halloween and happy belated Guy Fox Day. You know, if yeah, you're planning yeah. to blow up Parliament, you probably shouldn't, but you know. You want to wear the mask? Go ahead. Remember, remember the 4th of November. Except uh, it's the 5th, which is, is a good way for me oh, to remember is it? my dad's I birthday, thought it was the 4th. Which is November the 5th. It's November 5th. Oh, okay. Well, considering I, 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 uh, I actually mentioned V for Vendetta as one of my 10 favorite sci fi movies that I've never talked about on the Bizzlecast before. <laughs> um, and I, I, I know I, I haven't read it, but I'm sure the, the, the graphic novel is even greater by Alan Moore. Um, so it's different. it's different, right? So um, okay, man. A lot well, more hateful because I think huh. Alan Moore is just kind of a hateful, joyless guy. Like he doesn't seem to have fun doing things, uh, and it's more anarchic. Whereas uh, um, the movie is more like straight up revolutionary. Right? You know, V doesn't want to overthrow the government and replace it with a democracy in the comics he just wants everybody to run wild and hopefully some sense of order will eventually emerge out of it so uh, my uh, my buddy adam deets who you know who's a sometimes contributor to the Bizzlecast, has been really yeah. pushing me to read promethea have you read promethea no i've heard of it i've heard it's yeah. very good um yeah and don't get me wrong i have alan moore is a brilliant comic writer i just if you read interviews with him he just seems like an angry, grumpy, mean guy who just like does not get joy out of life, which is a shame. Um, yeah. Well, interestingly, uh, and I got this way wrong in my uh, my recap of, of of the history of V for Vendetta and my top ten sci fi movies uh, that I hadn't talked about at Bizzlecast before. V for Vendetta was one of them. I, mm-hmm. I said it was like in the late nineties, but it was like the early eighties. I think that he that he did it. Um, so that well, it, it was yeah. all about fe- the rise of Margaret Thatcher. I mean, that was the political context right. that that graphic novel emerged out of. Um, yes. And then what he was so pissed about with the movie is that it basically took his very his setting that was very grounded in a specific moment in British history and basically just overlays American post nine eleven politics onto it in the movie, going so far as to say sometimes blowing up a building can change the world. I mean, it's just straight up 9-11 stuff um and i thought he had a point with that which is which is interesting because again correct me if i'm wrong but the interpretation uh by mcteague and the wachowskis and so forth of the movie of v for vendetta was actually a pretty optimistic view of humanity that all they needed was a little push to rebel against authority which you know if you look at human history is not really the case um you know that mo- th- that most people would be too scared to rebel. You know, and V just needs a year, basically, in the movie. That's the whole setup: is he needs a year before he blows a parliament. But that's just a. What I like about the movie is you think the plot is going to be solved or, or lead to the blowing up of parliament, but it ends up just being a symbolic gesture. And and, yeah. what, and what really gives you chills in the movie is when all the people wear the masks and march on parliament. Um, yeah, exactly, and so I, I thought that was actually kind of an optimistic thing. So you're saying that you so you're saying that the, the the graphic novel version was more like dark and pessimistic and 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 angry and and, and so forth. Well, for one, 
again, it's the difference between V being a revolutionary and V being an anarchist. He doesn't ever in the graphic novel really believe that blowing up any number of buildings will create a revolutionary political change. He thinks humanity only needs a little bit of a push to descend into chaos, mm. and hopefully something better will come out of the mix of that chaos, what he calls the land of do as you like, than what we current what has currently come to pass in his society. That he thinks it's so awful there that it needs to just be torn down, and whatever comes next has even if it's just years of chaos and decay would be better. Um, hmm. The order of events is also a little bit different in the comic. I believe in the comic, one he he does successfully blow up the not the BBN. I don't remember what the building is called, but but he blows up the thing that creates government allows for government surveillance. I think for as a Christmas Day present, um, he blows up the Bailey Building, and he might actually blow up Parliament too at the beginning. He blows up two buildings. Um, and then he has some other plan for what he's going to do the next November the 5th. Hmm. Um, well, I, you I know, know, Evie yeah. is a little bit of a different character. She's a prostitute, not a, a mm-hmm. you know, a, a, I don't know what to call her, a, an assistant. Well, they uh, kind uh, of tease that in the movie a little bit. But yeah, but they definitely don't call Well, she it works way. as yeah. like a coffee girl. She's like an right. assistant to the various people who work at that so i i don't know she's some kind of well no they tease it they they tease it uh but they trick you because she's she's always going to hang out dressed up and all dolled up with this guy and you think she's a prostitute but the guy's gay and right right, and he turns out to just be a friend essentially that wants to hang out with her so you know i kind of like that and i I guess what i'm saying is to tie this into dr strange and i want to get your review because you like the movie more than me i think i might have given off the impression from my review that i absolutely hated it uh which i didn't i i i quite enjoyed the experience and i didn't have super high expectations it was actually better than i thought i'm not sure i really made that point well either so i want to get your positive review of the movie but you know look back on v for vendetta I really appreciate it because I wish we had more comic book properties like that in the sense of if you go into that movie not knowing it was a graphic novel, you might not know that it wasn't an original story. You know, like I wasn't into comic books in 2005. I, I, I'm not sure I completely knew, other than maybe I read on the internet that it was based on some graphic novel. But you know, but 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 to me, it felt like it had some comic book elements, but it wasn't like a straight ahead comic book movie. Um, just because you had a guy in the mask, I don't, I don't know if you agree with that. Um, and, and now it's it's so n- neatly and evenly divided between comic book movies and then movies that have like an origin story but aren't necessarily comic book movies. Right. I mean, I, I I think I was pretty sure I knew that V for Vendetta was a graphic novel. I hadn't read it. I read it after, uh, but I, I'm pretty sure I knew what it was before I saw it. And I would certainly say if it's not a superhero movie, it's a, a Wachowski movie because it certainly bears a lot of visual similarities to Matrix, except for there's no like reality bending. But a lot of the same slow-mo stuff, a lot of the same – the way they animate motion, they a lot of that ha- came out of the Matrix and then the guys who made V for Vendetta – who are not the Wachowskis, they like worked for them on the Matrix. That's sure. clearly where they got a lot of their visual and kinetic styles from. Sure. Um, right, but the Matrix was a totally original property that worked in anime and comic books and science fiction and so forth. That's what I'm saying. I want to see more of that stuff. And actually, when you rewatch V, I, 
something that works for me more and more is there's actually very little action in V for Vendetta. I mean, there's the initial scene with the fireworks, and then right. there's the knife, you know, Matrix-looking scene where he saves her uh, mm-hmm. in the office, and then there's really not any straight-up action until the final, you know, fireworks uh, display and and the train bomb and so forth. I, mean, I think there's only three action scenes, and none of them are super long. The only long one is the one where he kills, like, the ten bad guys with the knives at the end of the movie, pretty much, right? I mean... Yeah, and the escape from the tout from the BBN building is, is action-packed. I mean... What I think the sh- the movie got right, and the comic actually doesn't get this right. The comic is very much just from the perspective of Evie and V, and Evie is not very well fleshed out in the comics, so it's really just about V. The problem is V is not actually all that interesting. He has a very simple origin. We don't know anything before that because he doesn't remember anything about his life before going to through all those medical experiments that turned him into V. So he has no origin. He has a very basic explanation of why he's doing what he's doing. And so to keep going back to that over and over again would be pretty boring. Instead, they in the movie, they do a lot of it is about these cops who are like the only good people who work for the party trying to solve a crime. And a lot of it is investigation and, you know, uh, you know, it's the cops and, pol- and police work. And that makes it interesting because it makes the scenes with, uh, the pop a little bit more because you're not seeing him every second of the movie, um, which I think would get boring because he right. I, I think he is a little bit one note just because he has such a simplistic characterization to him. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I think the performance. I think the cops brilliant. are more three dimensional yeah. than he is. Well, it's not a matter um, of dimensionality. That's why the yeah. movie is about her as much as it's about him. Oh sure, great Natalie Portman role, super underrated yeah. Natalie Portman role. But yeah, but even not the great fact, accent yeah. work, but otherwise very well. Well, done. whatever. Who cares? I mean, <laughs> English English people like Cumberbatch do terrible American accents, and Americans like Robert Downey Jr. in the Sherlock Holmes movies do terrible English accents. I don't know what it is, but Americans can't do English accents. English people can't do American accents. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that was one of my criticisms of Cumberbatch. But it was to leave V, and then and we'll jump to Doctor Strange real quick, is just that, you know, the fact that you could have senior cops investigating in such a 1984-esque scenario that they, they could even be doing such work, again, is a very optimistic view of, of humanity. Yeah. You know, in the 1984 world, everyone is 110% not only on board, but, you know, completely swayed and brainwashed by the ideology of the ruling power. And I think movies like V for Vendetta and Children of Men, which also takes place in, like, the UK in the near future, um, Mm -hmm. you know, create little openings for hope in these horrible situations. Now, Doctor Strange was definitely not a dystopian scenario. This was, yeah, another alien invades Earth, but is doing it multidimensionally. I've said my piece on this. I'm glad people are enjoying it. I'm glad it's doing well. My concern is that movies like this and even Civil War, I think, are being overrated at 90 plus percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which I really don't take much stock in anymore. 
Um, you know, we don't have to argue about this, but you know, I thought Warcraft was way better than a twenty nine percent. You know, I thought Apocalypse was better than a forty five percent. I thought you know, Batman v Superman was worse than the rating it had. I don't really take much stock in, in Rotten Tomatoes anymore. But my point is, if Doctor Strange gets a ninety, then what does an amazing Black Panther or Thor movie get? You know, like there's nowhere to go up, right? I mean. <laughs> it, it, like there, there's no room By for this improvement. One metric, yeah, no, there's not much yeah. room for it to go up. I mean, but go know. ahead, but go ahead. Physicast listeners want to hear want to hear different a different angle, and, and you being essentially the co-host of the show, I'm going to let it go to you. You talk about Doctor Strange, you can about anything you want. Just go for it. All right, I uh, I appreciate being thought of as a co-host. I I, I still think of myself as a, a cameo, but uh, whatever. I really like Doctor Strange. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I think it. I actually, in some ways, enjoyed it more than uh, Captain America: Civil War, only because really? Civil War. I loved the actions fight in the middle, and otherwise didn't find it all that engaging. Whereas Doctor Strange kept my attention for the entire movie, and the biggest reason is the visuals. You know, it is very, very rare that a movie can look so good that it gets me past other flaws that it has and doctor strange has some serious flaws that i'll acknowledge shortly but i found the visual style of doctor strange to be gorgeous to be mesmerizing uh to be i mean i i caught my breath a few times i i really thought it was visually spectacular and if anything where it fell short is it didn't do enough of that you know that this is a movie based on a character who got famous during a time when people were really experimenting with hallucinogenic drugs and the art style of that comic in the 60s drawn by the incredible Steve Ditko Mm -hmm. really, really, really was based in that psychedelic art scene. The pages are gorgeous and out there and weird and really meant to be taken in as visual spectacle more than narrative storytelling. And I think this movie did as good a job as it could when it was hamstrung by being also having to be part of the MCU where everything has to be an action movie and everything has to be setting up future films and everything has to start with an origin and end with the, the fight, the big fight scene. Really? I think this movie should have just been him training and exploring different dimensions and really just been a weird adventure movie more than an action movie. Um, the fight scenes are cool. I love the reality warping, twisting building stuff. I thought it- I agree with that, by the way. Sorry to jump in real quick. Another point I missed was that I like that it was an adventure feel more than an action feel. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think that's where it's strongest. I think it's weakest when it tries to be an action movie, yeah. which Doctor Strange never really was. I mean, people have said that, including you in conversations with me, that this guy doesn't feel like he has any stake in this. That's actually kind of in keeping with how he is in the comics True, because half the time he's not even there in person. He yep. is astral projecting and exploring. And yeah, there, there's a reason he's one of the leads of the Illuminati in the comics. I mean, his yeah, his uh, his attitude towards the world is Thor-like in a way. He's even more removed than Thor, though, because of the multidimensionality, right? Right. Um, and I think if there was a movie, this one was most similar to... I mean, Doctor Strange's character is most similar to Tony Stark, but the look is clearly the most similar to the Thor movies just because there's multiple worlds and the visuals are more bizarre. 
personally, I think Doctor Strange uh, integrates its aesthetic better than Thor does. Um, I, I know Thor is one of your favorites. I have said before, it's not one of mine, and Thor The Dark World is well, probably... Yeah. I'd actually say it's the second worst. Uh, I know you were talking about that in your postmortem. Iron Man is not good, and it's also not funny. Yeah. Thor The Dark World is not Iron good, Man but too. it's funny. Yeah. Iron Man 2, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Thor I, The Dark World is one step higher. It's 13th out of 14 not, movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess you I, know, yeah, I just like the supporting cast better and, and Iron Man 2. Again, I've seen it maybe twice, and it's been forever, so I'm not going to make a judgment on that. I agree with you about Dark World. But as I've said, what I love about the first Thor movie is the Earth stuff, not the fantasy stuff. I've been very critical of the sloppy mix of fantasy and sci-fi in the Thor movies, and I feel equally critical uh, in, my, you know, in my own mind about the sloppy use use of magic and so forth in Doctor Strange. It, it doesn't have to be as intense as Lord of the Rings or even Warcraft in terms of having a system of magic, mm-hmm. but I just felt it was like, oh, I memorized this book, so I have this power and I can do this. I mean, he was never tired. Like, he was never injured. He was never tired. He was a god, you know? I mean, he literally took out the lord of the dark energy side of the universe in the first movie without breaking a sweat. And so I never broke a sweat because he never broke a sweat. Go ahead. Which is why, again, I think this movie would have been better if they hadn't set it up necessarily as a movie with really high stakes where there's an epic oncoming threat that this guy who has been training for an hour, you know, our time is suddenly perfectly equipped to fight. Even though I really liked the end confrontation with Dormammu because it wasn't a fist fight because it was actually out thinking this being instead of, you know, out, you know, punching him or out shooting him or anything like that. I think if he had just been exploring and, you know, maybe he encounters Dormammu at some point, but he never has to deal with Kaecilius or any of that stuff, I think this movie would have been stronger. Um, I think the problem is when you make a movie for $150 million or $180 million, however much this movie yeah, costs, and I you are going for $800, $900 million box. Which they're not going to I make. think there's only – they're, no, they're probably not, but no. that's kind of what MC, Mar- Disney and Marvel now expect. Sure. I kind of think they're, at this point, feel like they can only make that movie one way, that they have to make it appeal to the broadest audience possible, and that means an origin story at the beginning, because Doctor Strange isn't even all that popular among in the comics. I mean, he has struggled throughout his history to sustain his own title, and for long periods of time... He's just been in group ones because fans have a hard time as a, as a large group really latching onto this character. He's got his cult followers like every comic character does, but he's a niche character even within the world of comic books. And to make a movie that just appeals to his hardcore fans, that's kind of this slower exploratory movie I want, but that's not going to draw nearly enough people to make the kind of movie Marvel wants Marvel goes for people for people to see the movie who aren't comic book fans. Um, you know, that's the only way you make a billion dollars in a movie is to not directly target the people who read the comics. Um, and I find it fascinating that the only two directors who have defended their movies as quote unquote for the fans were David Ayer after Suicide Squad and Zack Snyder after uh, Batman v Superman, 
which I feel very comfortable saying are the two shittiest superhero movies this year, quite possibly of the last decade. I mean, mm. but those are quote unquote for the fans, which is why I don't like when directors say that because I'm a fan and I hated, well, I hated BVS and I couldn't bring myself to see Suicide Squad. Um, returning to Doctor Strange, the visuals carried it for me. I like that Kaecilius is kind of weak, but he's barely in the movie. I think my biggest problem with this film is that the cast didn't quite gel except for Tilda Swinton. I, Benedict Cumberbatch smolders and, and is angry looking, but doesn't really emote. And the accent is very inconsistent. Oh, it's awful. Um, Baron Mordo, Chiotel Edgy 4, is fine, but he basically has two sentences where he explains why he's one way and then two sentences why he explains why he's the other way. And he's got so little beyond that that... Chiwetel Ejiofor is my favorite act, overall actor out there right now right. for his age. And so when he is underused, to say the least, like this, it makes me really, really mad. Because when you see yeah. him in movies like 12 Years a Slave, Children of Men, and uh, The Martian... I mean, let's be honest, as great as Matt Damon was in The Martian, the movie, from a plot standpoint, was actually structured around Chiwetel Ejiofor and, ironically, Benedict Wong. I mean, the relationship between Mm -hmm. Bruce and Vincent Kapoor, played by Benedict Wong and uh, and, uh, and, and Chiwetel Ejiofor, respectively. Chiwetel Ejiofor, yeah. Who were both in this movie. That was really sort of the, 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 the kind of the moral heart of, of what was going on. Matt Damon's character, Mark Watney, was just trying to survive. But Bruce Singh and Vincent Kapoor were the ones who were really trying to make things happen and really humanize those parts. Um, I'm actually listening to the audiobook version of The Martian right now. And it's spectacular. It's absolutely great. Actually, the movie was quite close to the book. At least I'm like a third through so far. Um, I mean, Drew Goddard definitely made some excellent changes uh, in his conversion to movie form. But and so you know when I have favorite actors that are misused, a lot of the cursing. Yeah, well, there's more cursing in the book. That's true, but they do get away with like Way three. More. But they get away with like three f bombs in the movie. And the rule with PG thirteen movies is generally one f bomb and not offensive f bomb. So it was. Yeah, he says it twice. He says, "I'm fucked and fuck you, Mars," and fuck then you, he Mars, mouths, yeah. "What the fuck?" Right. And he finds and he out they haven't told right. still alive. Right. But yeah, right. but I think I think the censors went a little light on on The Martian because it's such a positive movie and, and important for I, I think for kids to see, you know. So and they didn't want the R rating. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so with Dr. So Strange, yeah, so sorry, I'm gonna let you keep going. Doesn't... I was just pissed about the lack of Chiwetelogy, yeah. and at the end, you know, Benedict Wong and Chiwetelogy for like we did it. I'm like, no, you didn't do it. Doctor Strange did everything. Like you guys didn't do shit. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm. Again, I think the cast was just not that the strongest part, which, again, they could have gotten past if they hadn't made it such a movie dependent on classic kind of plot three-act movies, the way every Marvel movie is, where it's just, you know, set up, one confrontation, second confrontation, end. Um, you know, I we want this film to be a little bit more exploratory because that would have been different. That would have been doing a different genre meshed with a superhero genre in the way, the same way that the winter soldier is a spy superhero movie and guardians of the galaxy is a space opera superhero movie. And Ant-Man is a heist, uh, superhero movie. 
Doctor Strange, if it had been some kind of psychedelic, almost experimental superhero movie, I'd have loved it. I don't know what kind of box office it would have made, but I think that would have taken advantage of the property better, especially when the visual style is so clearly going for that, but just isn't allowed to pursue it completely. Um, but overall, again, I really, really liked it. The stuff that sometimes bothers me, the cultural appropriation stuff, I didn't actually think it was that big a deal because it's never said that what they're learning is Buddhism or Hinduism. They even make it a point of Which saying... Which I said, by the way, this isn't if, really you listen, if you listen to my commentary, I, I, mentioned, multi- and I, I, I mentioned multiple times that I was not super offended by that, to be, just, just to be clear. That I, was, I didn't think it was horrible yeah. cultural appropriation. It was a little questionable, but I didn't find any of it super offensive. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think there are certainly missed opportunities. I think the ancient one could have just as easily been an Asian or Asian American or, uh, you know, Nepalese uh, actress or actor, whatever. I I certainly would agree with that. But I just, other than sort of a vague general idea of what monastic life is like in some East Asian nations, I just don't see what they're doing in that facility as actually all that directly appropriating a single culture because they say you know he she shows him the book that's got the mri scan and the chi symbols and some other spiritual map of the human body and says these are all pieces of a photo that the person doesn't know the whole uh, the whole of so clearly they're kind of indicating what we're doing is something different than what any pre-existing way of looking at the universe, whether it's science or one particular religion well, sees it. And the Buddhists... And the, the people... Yeah. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, the Buddhists are the first people to admit if someone from outside of our culture or, or ethnicity were to be wiser and smarter, they would have no problem promoting them to be the head of the order. You know? I mean, uh, yeah, that wasn't offensive at all. I, I'm totally with you. And, and I'm in support of a you know, a future religion, positive religion that does combine the best of all the religions out there. So I'm totally cool with it. My bigger problem was, I and Gabriel tried to argue t- t- with me that this was not the case, but there was really nothing substantially philosophical in the whole thing. I mean, you can bitch about the Matrix being heavy-handed with philosophy, but at least it attempted it. Even Inception attempted it a little bit. I don't even like Inception. But this movie did not even attempt a single moment of real wisdom. I mean, there was nothing that that trumped anything that Obi-Wan Kenobi said in the original trilogy of Star Wars. I mean, it was complete, empty, vacuous mysticism. To me, I'm willing to be wrong on this. Or who cares, right? Is I mean, is that the point? Is no one really cares? I think you're right for the most part. I mean, there's, there's... Yeah. I mean, Tilda Swinton, I think, sort of he tried to, to sort of deliver some kind of point to him. But the only message I took from that is, quote unquote, it's not about you, which is a pretty weak ass message. I mean, you don't have to go to a poor village in Nepal to learn that. I mean, <laughs> um, so, no, I, the movie doesn't necessarily have a point. I, again, though, I, I just didn't care. This is one of those few times where I was just having so much fun watching this thing that the other stuff just fell away. Like, I, I really lost myself in the visuals of this movie in a way that the visual, the movies you think it takes some of its style from, like The Matrix 
or Inception or some of the other ones. Okay, so no, no, describe it. Describe it to the get lost in. Describe it to the listeners because to me, it was not visually interesting, really whatsoever, for the most part. Um, And so, what what specifically stuck out to you about the visualization of it? Because to me. It was, you know, not very colorful. They stuck to the sort of orangey-yellow um, thing, you know, that is typical of magic. And then all of a sudden, at the end with Dormammu, you had like an LSD rainbow of colors. And there wasn't a whole lot in between. And then the moving of the, of the dimensions looked exactly like Inception. The broken mirror stuff looked like the Matrix. So um, what, what, what really stuck out of you as sort of appealing... Um, Aesthetically, because you're not usually one to be swayed by the aesthetics of a movie, to be honest, right? No, I'm not. I mean, I've told I told this to you privately. The last movie where I really got lost looking at the movie and that got me past some other structural flaws is Pacific Rim, because I really I was just having so much fun watching giant robots punch giant monsters in a very brightly colorful setting. I thought Pacific Rim looked better than this movie, even though this movie was better than Pacific Rim. I thought Pacific Rim aesthetically looked better than this movie. Go ahead. First thing is, I kind of want to throw something back at you. You say that this movie copies styles from all these other movies, but if this movie is taking a lot of its visuals from the 1960s comic drawn by Steve Ditko, and we both acknowledge that movie specifically The Matrix are heavily inspired by comic books. Couldn't it be said that some of those movies copied their visuals from stuff like Doctor Strange? That Doctor Strange got it first? The, uh, Matrix was more copying from Ghost in the Shell in anime. But the walking yeah, on walls and the, uh, the walking on walls and ceiling stuff, I thought was was very Matrixy. But it's not just about the vision of what it is. It's about the execution of it, you know. I, I, See, I, I thought the execution for, of this visual style was okay. amazing. I thought the dark dimension was gorgeous. I thought the scene where she, Tilda Swinton, and the Ancient One, sends him astral projecting for the first time. And he goes to all of these different universes. And they all look different. I mean, there's the one where his hand is growing other hands that then grab him where he goes inside his own eyeball. I mean, yeah. the images were varied. They changed it up. They were creepy at times and, and almost like warm and kind at other times. They all felt like different places. Um, you know, there was a very much a sense of in the middle, he seems to come back to his chair, but then he doesn't. Um, and you really think he's back and then he's not that he's just, in another level of perception. Right. I, I really thought the, the, the movement and the color and the speed of those scenes was amazing. I, I really found it breathtaking. Um, it's maybe the first time or second time in my life that I really found the visuals that compelling, mm-hmm. but this psychedelic feeling of just experiencing something coming at you that you can't control and that is going to go wherever it wants to go, regardless of what you want. I found that to be very well executed and very unique. Um, and I will admit that on a couple of occasions in my life, I have tried some hallucinogens and it is fascinating the ways that they were able to translate that. Now you in your postmortem said, if you're relying on people to be on drugs, to ex- enjoy this, you're, you fucked up. You're right. I don't think this movie relies on that. I think certainly there are 
parts of it that would be quite enjoyable to watch on drugs. I could say the same thing about The Matrix or Speed Racer or any or Pacific Rim or any number of bright, fast, colorful movies. I think this movie really, though, does capture some of the sense of of tuning in, uh, you know, of tripping um, in a way that I think the comics tried to do, too. I mean, the 60s counterculture movement really responded well to Doctor Strange. They really thought he was the hip superhero, the tuned in one who kind of got how they were trying to perceive the universe. And a lot of that is from Steve Ditko's art. And a lot of that art got translated as well as you possibly could hope it would be into this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was, I'm sorry, I'm going to let go. Um, I was ready for it to be super trippy. Um, I can't, I can't put my finger on it, and that's why I'm not going to be super critical. It's just a gut reaction thing. It just doesn't, um, it just didn't totally resonate. Like, for example, you know, this, you know, one of my favorite scenes of the Matrix sequels, which most people hate and actually point. Me included. YouTube, I'm saying this particular scene, and people mm-hmm. point to this particular scene as a reason to hate the sequels is when he meets the architect at the end of Reloaded. Oh, I <laughs> Okay, go. Sorry. And people hate that shit. And, and, and the architect is testing him. And each time he makes an answer, you see all the po- – in the TV screens, you see all the possible answers that he'll make to a given question. And then the camera zooms in just like it does in the first Matrix movie uh, where they tease right. it with Smith. And the camera goes into the TV. And each time the matri- the, the, the architect and, and Reloaded asks him a question and, and he makes a choice and the camera zooms in. To me, that, that's just so much more effective because they're actually talking about shit. And you may relate to it and you may not. Um, I guess I'm just at a point where, you know, I, I prefer trippy ideas over trippy imagery. In fact, I'm not even sure the last time I saw a movie that was just physically, aesthetically super trippy, and that's what did it for me, you know? I mean, the movies I love this year, like Hunt for the Wilder People and Hell or High Water, were aesthetically really cool, but that wasn't one of the main reasons why I loved it. Um, and so, you know, it just didn't, it didn't capture my attention. There wasn't any real, real major, um, I mean, let me put it this way. How do you explain this in the context of the MCU? Because he is so powerful. If he can cause infinite time loops whenever he wants without apparently needing to expend any energy whatsoever to -hmm. cause these infinite time loops, then what hope do either the good or bad guys have that we've met already? I mean, Thanos, Iron Man, and Thor all all pale in comparison to the power of Doctor Strange. So now, as I said in my review, <laughs> you know, Thanos, who I already didn't like a portrayal of and was not excited about, I'm even less excited because Dormammu and Doctor Strange are both way more powerful and less... Thanos is a manifestation of Dormammu. That's the only thing I can think of, is that they somehow connect Dormammu and Thanos. I can't figure out any other way for this to be interesting going forward. I'm really... Let me put it this way. The next four Marvel movies in order are Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think is going to be great and hilarious. Spider-Man, which... What? I said agreed. Oh, agreed. Uh, and Spider-Man, which I, you know, not being a Spider-Man guy, I think Spider-Man's going to be great and hilarious. 
the Thor, the Thor movie, as weak as the other Thor movies have been at times, with the new director and just the way it's being set up as Thor being, I think, kind of, it's sort of Avengers 2.7. If, if Civil War is Avengers 2.5, I think Thor 3 is going to be Avengers like 2.75, you know what I mean? <laughs> because it's going to solve the Infinity Gems thing, it's going to have the Hulk... They're going to be planet hopping. They're, I mean, in the post credit sequence, spoiler alert, I mean, it seems like Loki's going to be a good guy for the near future, um, or at least on the good guy's side. I think it's going to be great. Then Black Panther, I would really be shocked if it wasn't good. But after Black Panther in early 2018, and then you got the Avengers, you got Captain Marvel, and then you got... Um, is there anything else between Avengers... Three and four, other than Captain Marvel, that I'm missing, I'm, I'm forgetting about because they keep moving back to Inhumans movie. Uh, you're gonna get an Ant Man sequel. Oh right, Ant Man and Wasp, which I didn't love the first Ant Man, even though I love Paul Rudd. Um, I liked it. I didn't like. Uh, I don't like Evangeline Lilly as an actress. I, I just I don't. What else have me- you seen her in? Uh, the Hobbit movies. That's not her fault. Those movies were terrible. Everyone was terrible. Yeah, you know what? Movies. I'm tired of saying when somebody is bad in a movie, it's not their fault. What, so Martin are- Freeman is a terrible actor because he was in the Hobbit movies? Come on. I thought Tariel's character was worse in every way than... I just thought it was it was a badly conceived character, one they made up, one that's not in the books. Yeah, I thought she did a bad job with the character. I thought Martin Freeman did a better job with Bilbo than she did with hers. And if we're going to credit actors and actresses for giving great performances, for elevating stuff, we also have to be willing to criticize actors and actresses who just don't do a good job. Yeah, I liked her. She was my favorite part of the Hobbit movies. Uh, Other than the stuff going on with Gandalf and Galadriel, that was my favorite part, yeah. I don't know. She I, did too many movies. Yeah. She's in. All she does is make these exasperated faces. And well, I, we're gonna I, see. We'll see with Ant Man and Lost. But if she keeps yeah. just making exasperated faces, then I'll be on board with you. You know, I mean, she, they didn't exactly write her a great role in the first Ant Man movie. So no, probably it, not. Yeah. So so this will be the test where she's a co lead. Um, but my guess is they wouldn't have promoted her to a co lead if they didn't feel like there was some potential there. I could be wrong probably. about that. Um, probably. But okay, but this is a perfect transition to the you know to the other main topic that I wanted to talk about. Well, I hang on, I want to no, get a chance to just respond yeah. a little bit, just because you asked me about the stakes and where this how we how we fit this into the MCU. Yes. Yeah. Um, before I do that, I want to give my one sentence problem with the scene you're talking about in the second Matrix movie. I like the TV stuff. I thought all of that was cool. That conversation, it is hard to understand what they're saying. I have a very big vocabulary, I think, and even I was struggling to figure out what the words put back to, you know, in the senses, the way they structured them, what the hell anybody was talking about in that scene. And when you write dialogue that is incomprehensible, you're not being clever, you're being a bad writer. But this is the difference between us, man, is that I love movies. And that conversation is when that movie's, that whole series really started to get so pretentious that it was starting to disappear up its how own many, ass. How many times have you seen The Matrix Reloaded? At least three times. Because that scene, if you combine the scene uh, a third of the way through where he's talking with the Oracle in the schoolyard before he starts fighting yeah. with the million Smiths, if you combine that scene and the architect scene that we're talking about, those two scenes, 
is what got me into philosophy, essentially. De- okay, de- that's, watching, that's watching cool, The Matrix but- Reloaded like 12 times and decoding the stuff. And, and honestly, I mean, look, I, 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 you, can, you can laugh at it, but it completely changed my life. Not because it was perfect, but because it got me to thought, think about the world in a lot of ways that I'd never thought about the world before. And if you really think about what the architect is saying in terms of Neo being an apparent instrument of chaos, but actually being an instrument of order, uh, to just break it down to basic terms, uh, actually makes a lot of sense, which is to, you know, find the 5% of rebellious people, and rather than try and control them, you create a savior for them, but control the the direction of the savior, and then create an infinite time loop, essentially, or, 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 or you know, a, a loop of action where, you know, where things get reset and start from the beginning, because you're never going to fully control. I mean, just the ideas of control and power and stuff, I hadn't really thought about. That movie came out while I was in Africa, you know, like I was just juggling a lot of ideas at the time. The bottom line is it made me think, you know, and so I'm willing to forgive a lot of the sins and problems with The Matrix Reloaded. And you know me, I would never defend the third movie, Revolutions, but I do love Reloaded because it does did make me think um, in ways I hadn't thought before. And I'm not saying Doctor Strange had to do it. But you know, but mm-hmm. but 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 the the aesthetic giddiness of seeing comic book movies come to life on screen is starting to wear off on me a little bit. Honestly, it's it's starting to wear off on me. Sure, and I mean, and I, that's I, what I worry about. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, I my final conclusion on the Matrix, and then we'll move on from it. Although we could certainly talk for a while about that. Is the first movie was the perfect blend of some really interesting philosophical questions that I think were really relevant in a time when we were just starting to get the internet and really were not, we were scared for lack of a better word, that this creation of this new thing, we were going to lose ourselves in it completely, that we would cease to exist outside of the internet if we weren't careful with the direction we were going with it, which is, played itself out in some ways um you know where your facebook profile is how how you define how popular you are instead of how many people you know in real life um so the first movie really hit a key moment and tapped into it with some interesting philosophical questions about reality while also being some really cool action the second movie went overboard on the philosophy to the point that it was hard to just it was hard to understand. It's not. It's not that it was hard to. to but it's understand really it. not. If you and I sat down together and watched it, and we could talk about it as we were watching it, you would totally be able to understand it. Maybe. And then they dump most of the philosophy in the third movie yes. for a bunch of action scenes that yeah. don't really work, that aren't interesting, yeah. and that are really pretentious. Every, I mean, everything it, that's interesting in the third movie is in the first ten minutes and the final two minutes. I'm uh, not even that's sure there's that much in that. That's it. Yeah. Um, the, the the Indian family with the girl, the machines who create create a machine offspring and want to save her because they've discovered love. But you have to watch the Animatrix. That's the thing. I mean, you have to I buy have into the, the whole thing. I've I know, but you have, you have to buy into the whole thing. The point is, I'm never going to get good philosophy from the Mat- uh, from sorry from uh, from uh, Marvel. I'm not. No, I'm not getting any good philosophy from Marvel. And so, you know, if I'm not enjoying the aesthetic experience, you know, like I don't know what I'm look I- I'm looking for anymore. And, and and honestly, I man, I feel I, I, movie-wise, thirty-five-year-old Bizzle, thirty-five-year-old Jesse, uh, watching comic book movies, 
when, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015 were, for the most part, great years for comic book movies. Now we're in 2016. This feels like when I was 12 and a half reading the X-Men and going, yeah, maybe stop this soon. Um, I'm starting to feel bad about the movies. I'm sorry. And I don't think they're talking down to people at all. I don't think they're insulting. You know, I, I, I do think they're trying to engage people on a lot of levels. And the fact that it opened to 85 million rather than 60 to 70 million, which was a sort of the conservative prediction, I think is, is is great. And I love Marvel, but okay. Tell my comic book story, man. You're going to love this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So. Remember how I talked about how even though Philly is sort of a hipster town, there's, like, not a ton of comic book stores. You'd think there would be more, you know? But, like, you go to Portland or Seattle or San Francisco and, you know, other cities, there's tons of comic book stores. Not that many in Philly. So there's this little tiny closet in South Philly. South Philly Comics, it's called, which I had wanted to go to to, for a while. And, And it lived up to its reputation. It's absolutely tiny. It's, like, half the size of a dorm room at at Wesleyan or something like that. Um, And But what's amazing is... Uh, there, the, the 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 Marvel the the Marvel uh, library there was like maybe fifteen to twenty percent of the entire space, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking to this guy, okay, and uh, so we're talking comic books. And um, you know, I I I bring you up. And I talk about the the podcast, and you're a big DC guy. He's like exactly the guy you'd expect. It's an indie owned, like him and his buddy. They're middle aged. They're probably in their mid forties. You know, overweight, right. be- bearded. You know, kind of a little. You know, like disgruntled but fun loving guys. Like the exact guys you'd expect to be running a comic book store like right, this, right, right, right. And so we're talking, and. uh and, you know, we're talking Marvel, and he's talking about how much he really dislikes Marvel and how Marvel, once Rob Leefield and those guys started taking over in the early 90s, that Marvel's never recovered, and it's mostly bullshit. And, you know, even even their, their great writers like Brubaker and, and Jonathan Hickman are doing better work with other comic book organizations. And uh, so he, he, I thought he was a super dark dude. So I brought up the CW because we were talking about Flash and stuff. And I was like, yeah, right. you know, it's kind of a shame that, you know, all the sort of cheesy aspect of the CW shows because otherwise they're really good. And he looks at me, he goes, well, I don't really mind the cheesy aspects of the CW shows. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I wish Matt was here. You would be so excited to be talking to this guy, you know? He, he loves the CW show. So he's a DC guy, and but he also loves modern image comics and other independent comics. Mm-hmm. He sold me four new image comics uh, series because I said to him, I said, I'm a fantasy and science fiction guy. I don't want typical, you know, I want like dark fantasy or dark sci-fi. Sold yeah. me a bunch of number ones from the last couple of months. Amazing shit. Um, cool. you know, uh, it was, I think it's three image and there's one, I can't remember the name of the company, another independent. So he's just got tons of independent stuff going on. And I said, I was like, dude, how do these comic books survive with Marvel and DC, you know, making all this money in, in other media? He was like, well, with image, it's easy. He says, there's two, the walking dead. And I yep. was like, oh shit, I totally forgot they could do the walking dead. But yep. you know what sells even more than the walking dead? You could probably guess it's been around for a while. It's really it's not bizarre. still Spawn, is it? Saga. S- I don't know what that is. Saga. Saga's been around forever. It's like a. It's like 
it's like if you took Guardians of the Galaxy and made it extremely weird and adult and dark and bizarre. Mm, um, cool. Yeah, Saga's been around for a while. Uh, it's actually their top-selling comic book, and Walking Dead is number two. And, but, I mean, you, you look at the Walking Dead. I mean, they're, they're also three ninety nine an issue, but the, 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 the paper stock is better. The art is better. It's more adult-themed. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going... Jesus Christ, like, why isn't anyone jumping on this? I mean, right? I mean, other than Hellboy, you know, like, why is it all DC and Marvel? Is it just a corporate thing? Like, do you have any theories? Like, is it is there a chance that we could get some of these adult comic book properties in the future? You know, my dad just rewatched Deadpool tonight, and he was texting me about how amazing it was. And, like, you yeah. know, like, why, why can't we get more of this stuff? Because, as you know... And I'm going to eventually just drop this topic altogether because there's no end in sight, and I just bitch about it constantly. But the PG-13, <laughs> the PG-13 thing is killing me. It is. It's really killing me. I either want something really fanciful, or you know, like childlike, or I want something really adult. You know, this middle ground, right. like with Doctor Strange, and that was the thing. Is like I almost wanted it to be a PG Harry Potter esque movie, you know, and be a little bit less dark and a little bit more fanciful, and just be like a magic movie. But it wasn't. It still had to be in that Marvel PG thirteen thing. So yeah. I, I just dropped a lot of stuff. But I did bring you up. I'm actually going to try and interview this guy. It's a beautiful shop, as small as it is, and he's like a total cool. historian, and he's not. Jewish and I started talking I mentioned him about your thesis and about Jews and comics and so forth and, mm-hmm. and he was listening to me and he was nodding and nodding and nodding and he, he and I stopped talking and he stopped a second he goes he's like yeah man as soon as the Jews left Marvel things really went to shit <laughs> <laughs> Steve Ditko by the way not Jewish as far as I can tell yeah. um, I mean I the, the answer with image I can't remember if it's Image or Dark Horse, Dark Horse, but one of those uh, is notorious for, not notorious because that implies bad, but is well known for the signing very, very writer-friendly contracts so that a lot of it is creator-owned instead of company-owned, which is great for the writers because they make more money and they don't get into the fights that like the Siegel and Schuster children have had for 30 years with DC to get recognition for Superman um, but when you want to make a movie, you can't just be the company selling the rights to your own TV sure. branch or whatever. So I think that's what is hindering some of this stuff. I mean, Walking Dead's up to season seven or eight. It's a little silly, but it's, uh, it's still going pretty strong ratings wise. So I, I think if this whole genre doesn't kill itself in the next five years, which I think it absolutely a hundred percent could, then, yeah, people are going to start branching out more and more and maybe eventually, you know, a rising tide raises all boats and some of these Dark Horse or uh, Image or other even lesser well-known comic companies, maybe we do see some of their properties tra- adapted for other media. Um I guess you know. I'm just I'm so starved for good fantasy that when a comic book property appropriates a small amount of fantasy uh it, it, it's not that it bothers me it's just that it makes me wish there was there was more fantasy stuff going on um because mm-hmm. it's it's really it's it's game of thrones and now doctor strange and that's really it 
Um, and I'm not, you know, and now they have this new J.K. Rowling property with Eddie Redmayne, which is like associated with Harry Potter, but it's not Harry Potter. Yeah. And the preview looks terrible. The CGI yeah, looks I, absolutely horrible. Oh my god! Yeah, I can't. I, I, I think it'll probably make a lot of money because I think not a lot. There are a lot of viewers Dude, it, who aren't quite as discriminatory as we are. It's going up against no, Star Wars, isn't it? Or is it coming out before? No, Star Wars? it's going to beat it by oh, okay. a couple of weeks. Okay. It, it's a dis- mid-November release. Rogue oh, okay. One is December. I uh, nothing about magical beasts appeals to me. I I just I can't imagine I wind up seeing it unless somebody offers to buy my ticket. Um, It just I never loved the Harry Potter movies. I read all the books. I liked them. The movies never really did it for me. And this extremely calculated just merchandising thing of well, we don't want to let Harry Potter die, so we're gonna turn this 50 page pamphlet that Rowling put out into five movies, which is what they're saying. Just, I find that entirely distasteful. Um, so, you know, <laughs> Marvel's Marvel. They all only make these movies to make money, but at least maybe they're not quite as bad as that. So, so really <laughs> quick, so really quick, man. So, um, cause I'm curious about the state of science fiction on the sci-fi channel. Yeah. And mainly because it came to my attention about three or four months ago about uh, James Corey, is that his name? The guy who wrote the Expanse novels, the Leviathan Wakes and so forth. Yeah, yeah. That the Expanse novels were like the best, um, you know, uh, space opera for a while. And now they're making the show and there's Dark Matter and there's 12 Monkeys and... You know, it, it, it's mm-hmm. so. Let me ask you, as someone who watches this stuff, because I am curious and I, I, I kind of want to, but you know me. If I watch two episodes that I personally find terrible, I will immediately stop the show. So that's why I do mm-hmm. research ahead of time and get recommendations from friends. So, right. it, is sci-fi making sort of slow progress here back towards good television, or is this just a blip on the radar where they have a few interesting properties and then you know it's going to go back to you know the the fucking ghost shows and stuff like that that they were used to do i don't think we're going back to the ghost shows but if you're asking do i think any of these are the next Battlestar? no i don't the expanse is good not even close to Battlestar. what i think sci-fi is trying to do is get in the habit of producing decent shows at a very steady clip so that none of them have to stay on the air for more than a couple of seasons and before they go away, just because that's about how long these shows seem to be able to stay good for. Then they die, and then they're just replaced by more things that are also pretty slick looking, okay cast, fairly entertaining, and they you know, and it's just this it's a series of sprints instead of trying to run a marathon, basically. Um, you know, I liked Defiance, but Defiance died after three seasons, which was all it deserved. Uh, Helix was okay, but Helix definitely deserved to get axed after its second season, and it did. You know, I think Dark Matter's got maybe two more seasons left in it. Maybe uh, Twelve Monkeys might die after the third season. Which Wait, is- can I can I push can I push on this a little bit? Yeah, can I push on this a little bit? Because mm-hmm. before I got addicted to Orphan Black, right? You said something along the lines of, "There's one more season." And, you know, that that's pretty much all it's got left. Right. But I got to say, having watched four seasons, while I will be fine with them ending it after after five, 
I think it has more left than five if they want it to. I mean, compared to most dramas on television. So do you think there's kind of a, um, with TV shows, including shows like Game of Thrones, for example, which have, like, they're going to have, what, a short seventh and a short eighth season, and that's kind of what's yeah. going to go on. Do you think there is kind of a time limit on, um, on, on shows like this? You know, does that make sense? Like... Like no matter how good the material, no matter how good the acting and 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 the execution, that the you know even the best shows can only go so much, and therefore above average shows really only have two, three, four years to them. If that makes sense. Well, I think you have to be careful um, when you are comparing a show on BBC America, which follows the British method of making television, which is different than how any American channels make it um, specifically in that they don't sign long-term commitments to shows. It's pretty much just a year by year renewal across for all shows. Sure. Um, they debut at different times of the year. Their seasons are shorter. They do Christmas specials, which American shows don't do like shows that actually air on Christmas day. So, that's you've got orphan black that falls into that category you have game of thrones which is a prestige show on a uh premium cable channel that is a summer show i mean it it really it airs from i think april to august or something like that so it's on its own entirely different thing and then you have a a sci-fi call it basic cable um that is the closest to the broadcast uh-huh. television schedule except that they have more shorter seasons running year round like sure. defiance is a summer thing 12 monkeys is a fall thing i think the expanse is going to be a spring thing um you know and they like to have about four of these running concurrently now they still have ghost investigator or whatever also they just don't make that the focal point of their programming anymore which right. is the right way to do it sure um so I don't think everything is on a time limit. I think when you are doing things like uh, The Expanse or Game of Thrones, which are adapted, you do have this problem of you have a limited number amount of content. What do you do with it? Um, the big problem with Game of Thrones has been that the show is further in the plot than the books are at this point, And that... George R. R. Martin has basically told the showrunners what the broad strokes plot of the last couple of books is going to be. And people are really, who are real fans of the books, who are real diehards, are kind of miffed that the show is seemingly spoiling some of what's to come. Mm-hmm. Um, the Expanse, uh, those books come out, I think that series is either done or that author is not in this same almost love-hate relationship with his readers where they are like almost demanding he finish it and he clearly doesn't want like it's a different relationship between sci-fi the guy who writes the expanse books and the expanse fans right than it is between hbo martin and and martin's fans Mm. um Mm. man yeah it's 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 tough i guess um you know i i'm i'm uh I'm not sure what to make of the fact that comic book movies, which steal tropes from both sci-fi and fantasy, sometimes at the same time, like in Doctor Strange and even other other movies like Thor, for sure, do so well. But 
you know, but straight up fantasy and straight up sci-fi movies and, and TV shows continue to struggle. Even though when you go to the book form, comic book heroes only exist in comic form, whereas sci-fi and fantasy, the best stuff is written. I'm not really sure. Um, can I, can I, as a way of sort of closing here and just share uh, um, some thoughts I had from some recent books I've read, um, two in particular, I think you'll be interested because you're of my generation for the most part. I read, uh, I should say, listen to the audiobooks of a book called uh, Masters of Doom, who were the genius guys who created uh, Wolfenstein and then Doom and Quake, who, you know, revolutionized computer, right. computer gaming um, in, in terms of programming mm-hmm. and so forth. But, uh, you know, but we're kind of crazy, you know, weird dudes. And so eventually it caught up to them right. and the industry sort of knocked them out. And, you know, but, but they were the ones who, who really changed everything, who, who thought, you know, that, that, that video games were, were, were kind of superficial and kind of bullshit, which is, which is the kind of the case. Um, but, and, and really focused on development, but also a book called, um, Console Wars, which is about the battle between Sega and Nintendo in the late 80s and early 90s in terms of branding and the actual product and everything. Um, and, but what, what was common between, um, uh, between, all of, uh, between, between all of these, these characters, if you will, even though they're nonfiction books, is they talk about the narrative. You, know? you can create the most bizarre, violent, dark, crazy computer or video game stuff uh you know or or even toys i mean the 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 marketing genius behind the sega genesis um came from selling barbies and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and he talked about he says it doesn't matter what the barbies look like it matters about the story that you create around them and and, and the sort of the narrative right and and marvel does it seemed to be doing a good job with telling narratives and so you can answer this any number of ways. You can take it the DC angle, talk about other genre fiction like sci-fi and fantasy. You know, like, why are they doing such a good job with narrative and why can't other genre pr- properties or, or even genres or subgenres take a page from that? And that's why people love Game of Thrones and that's why I don't hate on it. I love to, I love to trash Game of Thrones, but I don't hate on it overall because i understand that it is creating a narrative that is enticing to people um so is is there a special sauce is there a magic formula or it's just it's just one of those things and and marvel is just kind of drawing from a, a long history of such narratives um but that's going to run out eventually right so you can take that any way you want yeah um a pretty complicated question. Yeah, it's a complicated. It's, I mean, it's just a question about of narratives. Wh- yeah, right. If your question is why is Marvel doing it better than everybody else, and I would argue they really are, it's because they are. For one, they're getting the best people to behind behind these projects. They are finding the right people in most cases to run these movies, to run these projects, to put the to to spearhead these universes. You know. Right. Joss Whedon was the exact right guy to get for Avengers. Um, James Gunn was the exact right guy to get for Guardians of the Galaxy. 
you know, the Russo brothers, nobody was sure, but it turns out they kind they were pretty good and really knew what they were doing. Um, you know, I, John Favreau did a pretty good job in his, you know, in the first movie, which was the truly the, the only one that, nah, it's not fair to say. I mean, it was a bit of an experiment in that nobody was sure what you could do with a character that was basically the dregs that Marvel had left over after selling all the good characters to Fox and Sony, um, which they pretty much did with X-Men and Spider-Man. Right. Um, and he took Iron Man that nobody really cared about and uh, made him into something really compelling. And it was so compelling that it actually made the premise of a combined universe feasible. Um, and so to take a chance on that, but what Marvel seems to get is it gets the value of understanding source material. Mm-hmm. Where Doctor Strange, to bring it back to this movie, works best is when it taps into this trippy, psychedelic, generally spiritual, but not necessarily all that philosophical, exploratory tone of the 60s comics. Um, where it gets it wrong is when it over- overly relies on the formula of the 21st century Marvel Cinematic Universe movie of lame bad guy, right. forced romance, and really, Rachel McAdams and Benedict Cumberbatch have maybe the worst chemistry of any of the love pairings in any of the Marvel movies. I, I, I really am hard-pressed to think of one where I bought their chemistry less. Maybe cap and sharon carter just because they when they make out there's zero reason why they would but they don't really even try to sell that i i mean you could have cut rachel mcadam's character out and if you wanted to find a place where you could lose something from this movie and focus more on training and exploring a lot of that hospital stuff could have been very much condensed the astral projection fight between him and the guy you just had that exact fight, and you're going to get it again yeah. later. It was funny, though. I love that he kept coming back, and she kept getting annoyed at him coming back. I thought it was fun. I mean, look, we talked about this before the podcast, which is I agree with the way the movie was structured that they could have and maybe should have gotten rid of the Rachel McAdams character. But the fact that she was the most human and relatable begs the question, as we say in philosophy, right? So if the most human and relatable character is the one that it seems like she should be eliminated, well, that says something not so good about the rest of the movie, to me, personally. Like, the, it, the movie should have just been more human and relatable. No, I, I'd agree with you. I yeah. mean... But, but, but like, for, but yeah, but Sorry, we what just... Was that? No, but we just we just disagree on some of the stuff. Like you really didn't like Emily Van Camp in Civil War. I loved Emily Van Camp in Civil War. You know, that's a character you would have eliminated. I I wanted more of. Um, and this maybe will be a good way to tie into the end. You know, to talk about because me and you talk about this all the time. And I was serious about what I said in my email about making contact with these female podcasters, which is we still have a major female problem in comic book movies and genre movies. And you can make, you know, Daisy Ridley and Felicity Jones right. be, be the main characters of these movies, but the secondary characters are still not female. For me, the greatest moment of female-to-female interaction in the history of genre films is at the towards the end of Force Awakens when Han Solo's dead and Daisy Ridley comes back and her and Princess Leia have like a 30-second hug. 
together without saying anything. To me, that's right. amazing. And in that New York Times article, which I sent you, which you read, the women talk about why does it always have to be daddy issues? Like, why can't there be mommy issues, right? Like, why can't, why can't the mother be a figure with females? It always has right. to be a man with their dad, a man with their mom, or a female with their dad. It's never a female to a female. And I think Dr. Strange did nothing yeah. to advance this cause. Go ahead. Or no, you just agree with no, that. No, I, yeah. I agree with you. And it. No, I completely agree with you. Yeah. I, my complaint, my problem is, and this is going to sound like I'm going coming at, at you personally, and I'm not, but I need to reference something that you've been Please, you've come after me. I, I can take it. I'm a big boy. Okay, so one of the things that you celebrated was that Rogue One, none of the protagonist characters are white males. They That's are all true. either people of color or they are white or they're women. And you thought that was a Damn really you guys, man. <laughs> and I, I would agree with you, except that I am really, really nervous that that's only being done to tick off demographic boxes and make money off of the off of that. You know that they've realized that having a more inclusive, diverse cast generates more box office, and that's the only reason that they're doing it, and that they're not really interested in telling stories from perspectives outside of white men. They just know that they will sell more tickets if they have a black guy or a woman in the, uh, among the leads. You know, that it's not, it's maybe better than nothing, but it's not altruistic. It's not, it's not. Um, so you are against affirmative it, it's action. It's not genuine. It's not genuine. It's, no, uh, hey, hang on now. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that. Well, that's what affirmative action basically is. Yeah, I have problems with it too. Go ahead. Yeah, but I would make a strong case that affirmative action is necessary to cre- promote the creation of a black middle class because college education is really important to moving up the socioeconomic ladder and wealth distribution in this country is really problematic in terms of where wealth is distributed racially. And I think affirmative action is a good step in getting us there. I also think there is a long history of racism when it comes to college enrollment uh, and job hiring practices. And so forcing uh, colleges or workforces to take on qualified minority candidates counters a demonstrable problem. Um, Now, movies has another problem of a lack of diversity, 100%. I just don't necessarily think that Disney maybe ordering the script writer to say, okay, write a black character or make the, the protagonist female. If the writer doesn't have a genuine reason why that, that character should be that way, um, I just don't think that that's any better. Um, I would love it. I think Jin's character would be more interesting if her perspective was trying to redeem her mother or her mother's relationship is really important that it wasn't another one with daddy issues, that it wasn't another woman serving men or relating mostly to men. I I think depictions of an actual minority community in the rogue one universe would be a lot more interesting than having the black, the stormtrooper who turns good be black. I mean, that's cool. I liked Finn. I like John Boyega and want to see more of that character, but I think it would go a lot more to suggesting that there is actual diversity in the Star Wars universe if there's actually a black community. 
Because I don't think there's any. I mean, can you think of any? They're basically no. the only black guy before him was Lando. You know, who, or, by the and, way, and, is being played the young version you. of Lando being played by Donald Glover, which should be fantastic. It should be great. I mean, I, it, I yeah. like Donald Glover a lot. I Atlanta is high up on my list of things to start watching. Yeah, yep. um, but, but I think it's little to- things too, man. Like it doesn't have to be mommy daughter issues. Like having one other female on the team who's from a completely different background and a completely different personality. You know, right. I mean, w- you know, women. And tense situations tend to butt heads the same way men in tense situations tend to butt heads, but it's different. Like mm-hmm. there could have been tons of cool and funny, dramatic and comedic things you could have done with another woman on the team. Like imagine if it was um I know she's already in Star Wars, but you know, I'm trying to think of someone totally different, like uh Brienne uh what's her face from uh from Game of Thrones. Um, I don't know what that actress's name. You know who I'm talking Brianna about, Brianna. Yeah. Blah. Like so, a character like that, like that would be really funny. You know, like mm-hmm. w- like what if the other female teammate was constantly getting on her ass because she's so pretty, and you know, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, there's like lots of like cool stuff to mine there that, as a writer, I would want. Like, it seems like they're going out of their way to have as few female characters as possible outside of the main ones. Right, while still pretending that they are combating a problem by creating one main character who is female. Right. That's my problem, is it's the... It's not that they're doing it, because I like Ray's character. I do want to see her get challenged a little bit more in this next one. You know, and I... Jin seems fine. I'm sure she'll be enjoyable. Um, It's funny that... My interest in this movie seems to have actually dipped a fair amount in the last three weeks, and yours has gone up, which is up, 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 a, up. Yeah. A, a rather hilarious uh, turnabout from where the two of us were maybe six months ago. Yeah. Um, but it's the hypocrisy to say that they're making it better when really they're reinforcing the same problems. It's either hypocrisy or it's ignorance. It's just not understanding what the problem really is. That's what annoys me. Um, and it seems to be what that article in that New York Times thing that you send me seems to be getting at is that these are fans, podcasters, people um, of the Star Wars community who are kind of recognizing that there are still so many ways that Star Wars and uh, you could argue genre film in general yep. is falling short of really representing the female experience of incorporating, I think, by extension of having minority vo- real minority voices in it. Um, well, I mean, look, I mean, look at it this way. You, you know how much I love Joss Whedon, but especially you know how much Joss Whedon loves his badass female characters, right? But until Civil War, you couldn't even find Black Widow toys. I mean, yeah. through two that- Avengers movies, you couldn't get a Black Widow toy. It's unbelievable. And she was left off T-shirts, and that—that's not Whedon's fault. That's- no, 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 no. I'm just saying. Yeah, there were like memos released that apparently that the heads of Marvel, not Kevin Feige, the guys that pay him yeah, like have said things like we don't want to appeal to girls or we don't think this is girls stuff. I mean, it's a little troubling in vaguely the same way that you, you find it unnerving when Donald Sterling goes on rants about black people when he runs a team of mostly black people, you, you kind of have to question if these people have these really backwards ideas about superheroes and they're running the superhero universe 
what the what is wrong with them? Like, yeah. what are they fucking up? And um, and, and, and this will tie it all together, and then we can tie a bow on this. Which is, you know, I've been really pushing the the, the geek and sundry network with Felicia Day and Will Wheaton and all right. these people. The honestly, the clear majority of characters and personalities and podcasters and vloggers and and just and people involved in Felicia Day's community are women. It's like mm-hmm. probably 60/40 women to men. So this notion that women aren't first of all are, are not geeks but can't even understand geek culture is so far from the the reality which is that Felicia Day is actually more representative of geek culture now than someone like Chris Hardwick, right? Me. I mean, to me, I don't know if I'm, if I'm misinterpreting this because I have a biased eye for it, but to me it seems like women are at least as involved in geek nerd culture now as men, no? I don't have, wrong, I don't have pure numbers, but I would certainly say there is a large, large, large chunk of women who like video games or role-playing games or comic books or what have you. I think the only people who are really still denying that, most of them either have such a limited privileged view that they just haven't experienced that, that they haven't met a lot of women who are gamers or comic book readers or whatever, or they are angry about that and they want to deny that it even exists, that they just... They don't like the idea of women intruding on something that for them was an escape from the world, and so they're just categorically rejecting it. I mean, there are horror stories of women going to public gaming uh, events you know, at local comic book stores where everybody there starts saying things like, old enough to, to – um, what is it? Old enough to bleed, old enough to – you know, really sexist, awful things – and mass to the point that they scare her away that there are stories of comic book stores creating environments or gaming conventions creating environments really 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 hostile to women um and then there was of course gamergate which is all about how there is a portion of the online gaming community that makes life just hell for women um I don't think they're exactly Which is crazy winning. because the Comic-Con audience is at least half woman, if not more so, based on everything I've I've read. It's a big audience. There's probably a lot of everybody. Um, right. But, but, but they're going to have to dress up as either the few female characters that are out there for them or as male characters. It's really right. fucked up. First of up. all, you've talked about Comic-Con a couple of times and you've mentioned cosplay. Cosplay is a, is a part of the Comic-Con, the San Diego Comic-Con experience. It's not all of it. It's not I don't even know if it's the majority of it. It's just the part that gets promoted a lot because it's visually striking and interesting. And so when you see photo montages of San Diego Comic-Con, all the photos are boring except for the ones where people are in costume. And it does seem like there are professional cosplayers who seem to mostly be women. Yeah. Um which I mean, look, if you can make money doing that and that's what you're passionate about, Go for it. I mean, yeah. it's as good a th- way to make cash as anything else, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just saying, if if you if you look at the lineup of shows on the Geek and Sundry Network, it's mostly women. It feels yeah. like to me. So you know, which it, clearly wouldn't be the case if there wasn't a large audience for that. And my guess is, I don't know if they're the majority or not, but there are a lot of the people watching those shows are probably women. Um, 
Yeah, and so women are being really patient, actually, with this whole process, <laughs> you know, given everything. Um, so, you know, I, and, and just, you know, to wrap it up, again, like with Rogue One, which I'm very excited about, you know, and I do think that Jin Erso is going to be a great kind of role model character because she seems very, I mean, let's put it this way. If nothing else, Jin Erso is a more complex character than Daisy Ridley's Ray, I think is, is fair to say. We'll and, have to see. We, we'll have we, to see. We, we don't know exactly what her deal is yet. Um, yeah. So we'll have to see what, what finally comes out in the mix. So wait, let me ask you, man, though, because you are so, you get so upset about the DC movies um, yeah. uh, uh, distorting the hopeful message behind Superman and so forth. But yeah, then when you find out, but, the, <laughs> but when then you find out that Rogue One is trying to add some hopefulness to it, you, you get very suspicious and skeptical about it. And so I'm wondering, uh, do you uh, do you treat your your sort of Star Wars thing separately from the superhero thing? It's honestly very possible. I mean, I have said before, Superman. Because you said you love a New Hope because of the name New Hope, and that's what it's about. That's what you said. I, I also think it's an extremely well-made movie that I really was mesmerized by as a little kid watching it with my dad. Um, but even in go a way to Tashi that, Station and get the power converters. Sorry, sorry. I'm not saying Luke isn't whiny, <laughs> but when you're six, sorry, I know, you I know. That was, that when you're well, six, you whine yeah. a lot, so you just assume everybody talks that way, and if anything, it's reinforcing that you can be whiny and still be a superhero. True. Um, I don't have a great answer for that. It's probably not totally consistent on my part. I get concerned when I see tones change randomly in the middle of projects because historically those have proven to always be bad, worse for the final product. Yeah. Um, and I feel like with Star Wars, there is the potential for dark and there is the potential for light. I just feel like Superman has always been portrayed as a, an almost universally hopeful character, if for no other reason than the fact that that S means hope in Kryptonian. And to completely strip that away, I feel like is misguided. And it speaks to a fault in the best DC's cinematic understanding of its characters. Um, and lo and behold, not very entertaining. Because when you strip the core concept out of the character and don't replace it with anything better, which Zack Snyder didn't, you just get a kind of boring movie. You right, know, okay, at least, so... Oh, no, go ahead, sorry. You know, at least Star Wars, there is substance. Um, and, you know, if it's, it's going to be dark, cool. If it's going to be light, cool. I'm concerned that they came, seem to be going back and forth and can't figure it out. Because usually... When a studio micromanages or goes back and forth like that, you can see it in the final product. So, okay, we'll end on this. So, looking at the next few Marvel movies, so, okay. So, Guardians of the Galaxy, the key is going to be to make Gamora's character awesome and the central character that doesn't just revolve around... Star Lord, right? That she's right. kind of independent. And I think they're already hinting, and I and I've predicted and wanted and hope. I don't think they're going to be romantic interests ever, I, and that's how it should be. I think he should have a romantic interest, and maybe he sh- uh, he should have a romantic. Inter- uh, blah, blah, blah. Let me start that again. 
he should have a romantic interest that's not her. She should, if she wants to, have a romantic interest that's not him. They seem to be playing up Gamora big time. She's, you know, really featured in the trailer. I see her, uh, uh, you know, her um, toys and stuff all over the place. So that could be cool. Now, Spider-Man, we've got Aunt May. Other than that, I don't know any major female character in Spider-Man. Thor, there's no Natalie Portman, who already was a weak female character for that series. So I don't know any female character in Thor. And then Black Tessa Panther. Thompson's character. Oh, right, Tessa Valkyrie. Thompson. Yep, right, Valkyrie. And then we've got Kate Blanchett as well. But it seems right. like Kate Blanchett could be like a Tilda Swinton type character, right? Which is yeah, cool, but... See- I don't see Kate Blanchett being a love interest. Okay, uh-huh. so we're now relying on the Creed team, essentially. We're relying on Tessa Thompson, and then we're relying on Black Panther um, right. with Lupita and some of the other characters that they've introduced. So you, you it sounds like you listened to mo- most or all of my Doctor Strange review. Um, I did. So, do you agree with me that it seems impossible for the Avengers finale movies to live up to expectations at this point, knowing what we know? Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. But the thing is, and I would encourage everybody, I would encourage people to stop having a lot of expectations for these films. I think... Just go into them and just watch them. And if you're not interested in them, don't go watch them. Sure. I, I mean, I think the more we build up our expectations, the more we are setting ourselves up to be disappointed. And the only reason we're building our expectations up is because of information that is basically being spoon-fed to us by the studio. And almost everything we get is studio spoon-fed p- publicity. It's mandated over micromanaged interviews or direct press releases or trailers that are just what the studio wants you to think its movie is. There's right. very little actual journalism, I think, that goes into news film reporting anymore. And most of the sites, including the ones I like, are basically taking press releases and or you know little bits of info spoon-fed to them by the studios and reacting to it. Um, and I think if you can stop letting your expectations fluctuate so much with this info that the studios opt to give you, you set yourself up to enjoy these films more when you finally do see them. Um, okay. I encourage people to not watch trailers because I think, yes. And I did it for Dr. Strange for the most part, to be honest with you. And it helped with my viewing experience. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, I've watched the Rogue One ones, but then I forget about them as soon as I see them. Because those, those so I'm gonna similar. watch. I can't. I can't not watch Star Wars yeah. trailers. I just, I, I just can't help myself, and I just, I, I can just tell I'm going to like that movie. You know, there's just some movies. It's like I don't know if it's gonna be amazing. I just can tell I like that movie. Okay, so I have like two or three really quick thoughts on what you say, and then I'm gonna give you the final word, and we're gonna sign off. So what I'm All gonna right. say is. When I say the Avengers isn't going to live up to it, I don't mean that they're not going to do a really good job. I'm just saying is they have so many balls in the air that there's almost no two-hour and you know 18 or 20-minute movie that could possibly reconcile all of the characters and all the plot lines. The Infinity Stones thing is completely forced. I'm not making this up, man. The second I saw the green, the greenness 
of uh, uh, the Eye of Agamotto, I literally turned to my dad and go, Dad, I have no knowledge of this. I'm telling you that, that it's the time gem. And at the end of the movie, and not only that, uh, that's easy to guess because they said time and it's green. You could guess that it was the time gem, right? Yeah. There's probably a lot and of we, nerds. So, and but, the first but, one of these we ever did, sorry, I got to interrupt real quick. The yeah. first one of these we ever did, we both agreed there was going to be an Infinity Stone in Doctor Strange. Did we? So okay, cool. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I was pretty confident they were going to reveal one yeah. of the Infinity Stones okay. in this one. Let's I wasn't sure if it was going to be this one or the one that's left is the Orange Soul Gem, um, which, which is, I don't. Which know. I think the Black Panther is going to have. Is my personal opinion, but we'll see. Well, I think he does talk about this being able to commune with the spirits of former kings and whatnot. So maybe that's how he has it. Oh. I mean, in the comics, Black Panther does have an Infinity Stone. So but, unless Thor yeah. is going to find it, he's got to be the one to have it because so, it wouldn't make any sense for Spider-Man to have it if he's fighting Vulture. I mean, oh, God, whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I honestly, Matt, I had no advanced knowledge of this. I haven't listened to any nerd podcasts in the last three or four months. I haven't watched any Doctor Strange trailer, nothing. But I turned to my dad halfway through the movie after I had already established in my own mind that it was definitely an Infinity Stone, even though I had announced it, and I said, the only other guy in the Marvel Universe that, that this guy can really commune with is Thor. And mm-hmm. so, w- w- two minutes into the credits, when Thor shows up for that really funny, I thought... I um, love that scene. Yeah. Um, with the, the beer stein that keeps refilling. He kept refilling I, the beer. I, I almost fell out of my really seat. funny. Oh, so Hemsworth is so great. Hemsworth is really great. I think he's so underrated. I think he's as good as 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 Thor as Cap is as Captain America. I just think Chris Evans has had better material with the Captain America movies than Thor has with the Thor movies. But I think Hemsworth. Well, I think Stark is, is still the funniest, but. Well, that's also Robert Downey Jr. He's 20 years yeah. o- older than those guys, too. This is true. Um, but the point being, you know, I, I openly called to my father that I thought, I, with no advanced knowledge, that I thought Doctor Strange was now going to be involved with the Thor storyline. And boom, there it is. And, and this isn't a pat on my back. I don't, I don't care about getting credit for predicting something. I'm just saying it's getting predictable for me. Yeah. You know, with the with the with the with the stones and and, and you know the, the the comparative power stuff and whatever, um, they really need to change up their formula. And I'm not sure that a combination of like Captain Marvel and Ant Man and the Wasp and the Inhumans, if that happens, and I I, I don't know. I, I think Disney is probably more worried about the future of the MCU than they're letting on. They're not worried about Star Wars. They're already saying they're going to be making Star Wars movies every year, uh, you know, forever, forever. But they, they, I think they're maybe a little concerned about. Like, let's let's put it this way: I don't think we're going to see Doctor Strange two, three, four, five, and six. I don't think that's happening. I think we're going to see him in the team up movies and like the Thor movie and a couple other things. We might see a Doctor Strange too. So let's end on where we began and the whole point of this, which is that I don't think Benedict Cumberbatch was perfectly cast in this role. I, I, no, I, think, I don't think so either. I think Hemsworth as Thor and Evans as Cap and definitely RDJ and um, as, as Iron Man and, uh, and uh, uh, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner were perfectly cast. This, to me, is a slight misstep. I don't know what you think, and we'll end on this. Thought. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I don't quite know why they went with him. Uh, I The accent work, it was problematic. I got past it. The opening scenes, when the visuals aren't, 
particularly interesting because it's just him in a hospital uh, is really when you can hear the Sherlock accent come peeking through. Yes. Uh, and it's like, where the hell does this guy think he is? It's true. Um, Once he's doing magic, it's true. You stop really caring so much because he's so weird t- to begin with. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. And I feel like he actually talks less. Maybe, uh, you know, he doesn't have quite the same. And he has monologues. good comedic timing. He does have good yeah. comedic timing. Yeah. Yeah. And, favorite gag actually for me was the scene where the cape surrounds the guy and just keeps slamming his head into the ground i thought that the cape i thought was a really funny character um now that was funny that was really funny so uh, yeah but that no, was super I, I think Potter, yeah. doesn't quite work i don't know who i think could have played the role better no um, one it's such a bizarre character they shouldn't have even tried it that's my whole point yeah yeah. Ethan Hawke maybe could have done it. Oh shit, that would have I don't know if he's I, if he's quippy fast to talking quippy enough to pull that No, off. he would have worked perfectly if they'd made my movie, which is a much more spacier area explanation, you know, exploratory film where he's kind of more like a scanner and, darkly kind of thing, like where you're really yeah, tripping kind of. out. Tom yeah. Cruise could have maybe done done it. I thought you, you know? hated Tom Cruise. I uh, not Tom Cruise. I do I do hate Tom Cruise. Who am I thinking? I'm thinking of Keanu Reeves. I'm sorry. I don't know. Uh, why I, I still got to see John Wick. And by the way, it looks like the John Wick director is going to do the next Deadpool movie now that they got rid of Tim Miller. Oh, that's cool. I the Equalizer is my favorite old person kills people movie. Uh, but John Wick was really enjoyable and yeah. kind of it's it's it it does a bit of world building. Like he's an assassin, but there's a world of assassins, and it, I it's, like Keanu Reeves. I think he's uh, good. Oh, I, I think Keanu Reeves is a wonderful actor. Yeah, I, uh, I I think. Agree. Um, I, I think he's been brilliant and I mean, you know, he's made some shit, but he's also, nobody acts the way he does. He is kind of a, he is just Keanu Reeves and everything. And that's hard to pull off and do it successfully. But I mean, uh, I, I will Rick defend a lot of ass. I will defend a lot of mistakes with the matrix reloaded, but I will never ever feel like I have to defend Keanu Reeves in that role. No, he, he does exactly what they ask of him and more so. No, but couldn't you see Keanu Reeves being going on an astral projection trip yes. and being like, whoa. Because it's the Matrix. This, that's what I'm saying, man. <laughs> this movie was the Matrix with magic. It's exactly the same thing. He can bend reality. He's the one. He's learning so quickly. And he's moving past his master. He's in the dojo fight with Morpheus. Yeah. I mean, this was literally the Matrix. I, I hate to say it. I hate to say it because I'm such a homer for the Matrix and everyone gives me a hard time. I couldn't stop thinking about it the whole time. I really couldn't. And, and that's fine. That's fine. I'm, that's cool because they didn't, they weren't completely original with that either. They took stuff from Star Wars and Dune and, you know, Ghost in the Shell. I mean, everyone's stealing shit from uh, – but I just, yeah, I just couldn't stop thinking that it was like a, oh, and, and this will be my final thought, and I'm going to give you the final thought, because I always say I'm going to give you the final thought, and I don't, but I'm really going to give you the final thought. My final thought is that my favorite superhero origin story this year is The Accountant. The Ben Affleck origin story of being an autistic kid who becomes a ridiculously brilliant accountant slash, uh, slash assassin 
is so comic booky in a non comic booky context, and is ex- and he he even has old DC comics from like the 30s and 40s that he stashes. Like it's so clear that you know the, the, the everyone involved in this movie loved comic book movies, and there was an influence of it, even though it had nothing to do with comic book movies. And this is what I'm calling for: is take the things that work about comic book movies and put them in a non comic book movie context and different stories so that's my final thought i'm gonna give you the final thought matt you can talk about anything you can talk about football you can talk about comic books you can talk about the cubs i don't care you you talk about you, you finish with what you want i i wish I, i've never had such freedom before i don't know what to do with it freedom is life's great lie um, oh loki excellent quote yeah. yes <laughs> so my final thought on Doctor Strange is first, I recommend people see it. I think it is overall a successful film. I think it's not perfect. I think it's not necessarily, it doesn't put everybody at ease about some uh, sort of a sense of that this genre is waning a little bit, yeah. um, which you I talked about with you that uh, it just seems like we are less enthusiastic about these superhero movies than we were a year ago at this point, And probably I'm betting a lot of other people are. Yep. Here's my final thought on what the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think, should do at some point, is it needs to start killing people. Yes. Because you want to say that this can't live up to, uh, that the final Avengers movie can't live up to everything because it's just so much shit at this point that it's just going to collapse under its own weight. I think that is absolutely possible. So... Let's have the first Avengers movie include the first Infinity War Part 1, whatever yes. it's called, show up. Warcraft have- kills a lot of main characters, by the way. Oh, yeah, let's oh, have Thanos Side note, I, I will pay for you to rent Warcraft. I will literally send you the money to watch the movie. Okay. That I think you're going to like it. I will pay for you to watch Warcraft. They kill a ton of main characters. Go ahead. Keep going. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if, if you pay for it, I'll watch it. I'm going to pay for it. HD uh, quality. Yeah. A far out. Yeah. Um, people are going to ask me that later. If you send it to me on hard media, they're like, you own this? Why? No, I don't anyway. own the desk. I'll pay for the media. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I can hide it somewhere. No one will exactly. know. Exactly. Um, no one will know. You know, I think <laughs> the first part of the Infinity War should have Thanos show up and actually kill some people. Not everybody needs three sequels. There are a lot of damn characters. We could cut the roster in half, make it manageable. And then maybe the second half of that, the part two, is about the core group. Maybe the original, what is that, six or seven from the first movie? Maybe they're all that's left. First and maybe from the original Avengers movie. Oh, the first, the first Avengers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The six. It, yeah. There's like six or seven of them. Six, I think. Yeah, there's six. Maybe it's finally those six, and they're the core six. Because it's the and, core six, and then you add, uh, in, in Avengers 2, then you add Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and, and uh, Vision. That was nine. So now there's eight, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but then you're going to have, you've got also Ant-Man, and you've right. got you, maybe the Defenders, right. and, and Doctor Strange, and... Black, you know, you're gonna have Black Panther and Captain Marvel, and you're right, it's too much. There's no way to keep track of all of that, even if Civil War, for eight minutes, was able to keep track of twelve characters or ten characters, whatever the final number of that is. So let's cut the numbers back. If you have six left, you can give each one of them an Infinity Stone because something's got to happen to them at the end, and they're the ones that are in charge of it. And then 
you maybe strip this universe back down to some of its core components for phase four, phase five, phase six. If you want to introduce more characters, new characters, feel free. They might try again with the Inhumans. There's all kinds of people you can make a movie out of. Um, you don't have to make Doctor Strange and then two, three, four, five. You know, you can kill these people off um, and it's okay. And I think that would solve a lot of the problems and fears that you have about where this is all going. Yeah, you know what I couldn't stop thinking about was the Scarlet Witch. Um because I, I think the Scarlet Witch could definitely exist in the Doctor Strange universe because at least the way they're portraying her in the movies, it's like magic rather than a mutant power, which, as you pointed out, was actually, she's not a mutant. That was a retcon. Um, and so she is kind of magic-y. But, like, I would love, like, a Vision Scarlet Witch movie. We wouldn't need an origin story. The two of them would just go on an adventure. That's what I'm always talking about. I'm so fucking sick of origin stories. So, you know, I, I was already... Uh, uh, I was behind the eight ball or whatever of this movie before it even started because of just my sickness and tiredness of origin stories. I don't think they can keep doing this. I know they're making money on it, but at some point people are going to get tired of the Batman Begins Iron Man thing, right? I mean. Yeah, I think so. I, I think the thing is, I think you do have to somehow explain where this comes from and you can't take the Peter Parker and civil war approach of half a sense. I was bit by a, and then Tony Stark cuts you off because that does assume a lot of pre-knowledge that people won't have with something like Inhumans or Captain Marvel. Right, or but why not Dr. have Strange. Elizabeth Olsen or Scarlett Johansson lead a, 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 you know, an adventure movie where we already know their characters, female, strong sure. female characters and just have them go to town, you know? This is, totally. this is another, I hate to say it, man, but Doctor Strange was definitely another tale of masculinity, or, you know, origin masculinity, you know? Sure. I mean, and we still don't have an Asian superhero, and I think yes. that's a problem, because there's lots of them in the comics that yeah. they could go with. Well, they could have even um, made Benedict Wong be more powerful and interesting, and that would have partially solved something, you know? I mean, yeah. I think um, uh, Donnie Yang, I think, seems to be crossing that barrier a little bit, Uh he, we'll have to see. He already seems to be a fan favorite with Rogue One, without that even coming out, because people love him in other movies, and I keep seeing him coming out. He's like the new Jet Li, right? At this point, he's he's like the the Chinese martial arts guy that's in tons of movies. So, all right, man. Well, thanks for coming on and for your your, your rational analysis. And <laughs> uh, you know, as usual, when we talk about these subjects, we don't disagree as much as it seems like on paper. I think it's just sort of the feeling that you leave the theater with, and that's very in, in, regardless of whether it's a comic movie or a regular movie. It's hard to put your finger on, you know. Um, and I would just say to people who are listening, if if you are, you know, of the nerdy persuasion, you got to get out there and see movies like Hunt for the Wilder People and Hell or High Water. Um, and, and, you know, there are connections to the nerd world. I mean, Hunt for the Wilder People is directed by Taika Waititi, who's directing Thor 3. And, and uh, Hell or High Water has Ben Foster, who's one of the highlights of Warcraft. Has Chris Pine, who's Captain Kirk. You know, has Jeff Bridges, who's the fucking dude. You know, I mean, so... Uh, you know, it's, it's, and, and the accountant is fucking Ben Affleck acting like a superhero who's fucking Batman, you know? So, like, <laughs> you don't need to go to a Marvel or DC movie to get the coolness of the origin story or of the comic book narrative, right? I think we can kind of agree on that. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, so okay, so my very final question to you is, with how much movies cost these days, and how much hype is put behind them, you as someone who loves to watch particularly genre-based stuff, right. um, what would make it easier for someone like you, who's super smart and intellectual but loves comic book and sci-fi and fantasy, to see some of these other movies out there that you know that fulfill some of those uh, needs, but aren't you know specifically genre properties. Like what? Where's the missing? Do you have any any sense of, of where the missing link is? I mean, for me personally, it has zero to do with the kinds of films. Although I will say that uh, it can be hard for me to see indie films on the Cape just because there aren't that many indie studio theaters and the ones there are don't show everything. So I don't think hunt for the wilder people came to Cape Cod. I don't think there was one theater that showed it. Um, the thing is, well, that's gotta be on demand though. That's worth your money, man. I'm not going to pay for that. Cause that is definitely worth your money. <laughs> then maybe at some point I'll sit down and watch it. Here's the thing for me. Movie going is just very, very hard to block out time for when you work a nine to five, it is really easy to fit time in to see a movie. When you work from 2 to 10.30, there is not a good time to go see a movie. If you're lucky and make the 10 o'clock, then you're, I'm back at 2 a.m., which sucks. I can't see it beforehand because I might have to leave in the middle to go out on assignment. So really, the only form of media that is easily uh, enjoyable with the schedule I work is television because it is shorter and it is consumable at my house. So... If more movies were not in theaters, if more of them got to just went directly to TV and were good, then I'd watch more movies probably. That's probably bad for movies because I think right. uh, that will all made for TV movies are usually pretty lousy. Right. Um, but well, I can't consume yeah. movies the way most people can because my right. schedule just doesn't allow it. Yeah. I also run you know i i am right. a fairly active runner and i'm training for a marathon in may and my runs take a long ass time so a lot of times i have to think i have time to right. do one fun thing today do i want to train right. or do i want to for which, instance go see a movie which by the way ebooks isn't exactly the kind of thing you would love to check out with that much yeah. time ebooks are totally worth it and you can totally game the system i hope i don't get arrested for this but as long as you have multiple credit cards i mean even with similar credit cards you know you can get a ton of free ebooks um and and the best ones are like 20 plus hours you know for Mm sci-fi books and stuff like that you should definitely i never thought i would be into audio sorry not ebooks i definitely not think i would be into audio books but um maybe being a podcast and music guy it, it actually works out really well that's worth it but yeah dude well shit um but um you know the accountant's uh a budget um official a budget was like 42 million Mm-hmm. which is really not that far off of like what TV budgets are these days. And on 44 million, it's already made over $109 million with limited foreign releases. It's probably going to end up making close to 200 million on a $44 million production budget. I think we're going to see movies like that just be Netflix movies. I mean, Netflix can't afford something like that. You know, if you can get Ben Affleck in a $44 million movie, um, and, and I think that's a good thing, you know, because then someone like you, who's more of a TV guy, I know you're not 
always subscribe to Netflix, but if you were getting movies like that on a regular basis, you might be able to to justify the $7.99 or $9.99 a month or whatever, right? To see Hollywood-level movies on TV when you want to, right? As opposed to going to a, going to a theater? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, if there was more stuff available... It would certainly be easier for me to justify owning a Netflix subscription, even if I didn't use it. I mean, I, I have been subscribed for a few weeks, and I've really watched Luke Cage sporadically. But I don't really mind that I'm not taking full advantage of something I paid $8 for. Right. You know, if I watch eight episodes of anything, you know, that's a dollar right. an episode. That's probably less than I pay per show that I watch with cable. Sure. It's the spend. It's the finding the time to spend $17 for a movie I maybe am not already interested in, you know, it, it is everything about movie going that is challenging for somebody who works at my schedule, makes what I make and is just not, you know, is sick of B minus entertainment. Yep. Well, uh, well, a movie that definitely will still be on the cape that's worth it if you can get a ten to twelve dollar matinee or something is the accountant. That's a movie I think you really, really will like. Um, that will be available. Like I said, I will pay for you to watch Warcraft because I think it's a really entertaining movie. A Hunt for the Wilder People. I would love for you to see. It's just such a feel good but deep movie at the same time. So thanks for being on, man. This is an ongoing conversation with us. Um, I think it's fair to say that our next podcast together will either be right before or right after Rogue One, right? Um, I know you. I've been feeling better about it, and you've been feeling less good about it. Has anything changed with you, or you're just kind of in a wait and see mode right now? Yeah, I'm in a wait and see mode in right now. I, assuming I am off Christmas Day, I will see it Christmas Day, and then we'll probably could maybe you know the night Isn't of the twenty sixth. It's coming out the week before Christmas, I think. It might be, but if I'm off Christmas oh, okay. Day, that's going to be my Christmas Day movie. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. Because I'm going to I'm going to see it like the 16th or whenever it comes out. But. Yeah, I actually, if it comes out a week in advance, I wouldn't mind that because it'll be easier to get tickets for to see it on Christmas Day. Which, for people who don't know, Jews are pretty much commanded to see a movie and eat Chinese food on Christmas Day. So <laughs> that. You know, assuming I'm off, that's what my day will be is seeing that movie awesome. and eating Chinese food with my family. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Maddie. Well, thanks for being on as always, Bizzlecast listeners. Thank you for listening. Um, I'm, uh, it's uh, early, early, early Monday morning of the 7th. The election's tomorrow. Uh, officially, I can't believe it. I can't wait for this shit to be over. Um, and I'm feeling good about it though. I mean, I'm not feeling good about the process, but I'm feeling good about the result. Um, and, uh, yeah, dude, anything else you want to say to the Bizzlecast listeners before we talk, uh, Christmas, Christmas time? No, I think that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Bizzlecast listeners. Check out my vlog. I just released a vlog that's literally entitled The FBI Can Go Fuck Itself, like seriously. Um, and so you'll enjoy that on my Facebook and YouTube page. And us at the Bizzlecast are out.